You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome back to another episode of Intellectual Erection with your host, Patrick. I have to apologize, I'm a little sick this time around, but we pulled through. We did it anyway. I'm interviewing two lovely sex workers from Toronto today, Isla and Ruby. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know what traffic was like. I want to know what's going on with your car. You know, I'm not particularly interested in your wife and kids, but you can tell me pretty much anything else. (laughs) We're going to be talking about a lot of fun stuff on this episode. So stay tuned, listen, and always comment uh, and send me feedback. If you want to hear specific things, if you have specific questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. If you want to support the podcast, and please do, because it's not uh, funded at the moment, go to Patreon. You could do it for as little as a dollar a month. That's the price of nothing for anything. So come out and support. And if you can't support financially, you know, go and leave a nice review somewhere, please. And as always, like, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with... Isla and Ruby. Isla and Ruby. Awesome. I like there was a pause. You were both trying to give each other space to speak first. (laughs) That's so cute. Awesome. So what is it that Isla and Ruby do? Um, Isla is a full-service sex worker in Toronto, um, and she works with an agency. Uh, Ruby is also a full-service sex worker, and at the moment, she is independent. All right, so this is going to be nice. We have two different takes on sex work. So one would be agency and then independent. So far, I've interviewed sex workers, so I think I've done both. So yeah. I, I've done both. <clears throat> independent is new for me. New independent for me. is new for you. Yeah. Okay. So would you would you recommend then that uh, to start one way or the other? Did you, or, um... I honestly would definitely recommend starting with an agency just because I think that they can give you some like good roots, some good places to grow, and they can teach you some things, which is important going into the industry. You definitely want to um, know what you're doing. <laughs> um, but ultimately, I definitely think independence should be the goal. And I have like a little saying that I usually <laughs> tell people, and she already knows what I'm going to say, but it's um, <clears throat> agencies are like politicians. Some of them are better than others, but none of them are good. Okay. <laughs> I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. So then am I to, so did you start with an agency? Yes, Ruby? I okay. did. Yeah. And then you moved to independent. Yeah, so then just for, recently. Okay. So for you, Isla, you started with an agency. Yeah. And so you're still... Women. Originally, I was when I first started sex work as a whole, mm-hmm. I was just doing like camming and Snapchat and things like that, like good old chatterbait. And <laughs> then I moved into sugar babying, and then okay. I very easily found out what like independent work was. But I wasn't doing like full service on like a large scale at all. Mm-hmm. And then 
I met the lovely, wonderful Ruby, <laughs> who was like, you're wonderful, and you know, you can do this on a much broader scale, in a much safer way, and then I started working with, ag- with agencies, and I think it's much better when you're starting out, because it's safer, yeah. in the it's long safer run, yeah. when you're still learning, you know, even about your, your own boundaries, because your boundaries in your personal life, and your boundaries in the industry might not line up, it might not be the same. So it definitely does provide like a good, stable environment for beginners. I that's that's fair, and I think that I've heard this same sort of thing from other sex workers. Just because you want somebody to show you the ropes at first to mm-hmm. understand safety and boundaries and how you can protect yourself before going out there, because it's not really a mentorship program, is there for for no. full service sex no. work? Absolutely. There's no apprenticeship not. program. Nothing. No. <laughs> that's why anytime I I meet like someone who's new to the industry i definitely try and um mama mama bird absolutely mama bear that shit yeah like we had there was a new girl who started at our agency back when we were agency sisters and um she was like she was like i don't know what to do what am i supposed to do and i was like hey hey actually don't worry i got you this is what you should do these are the things that you should be aware of you know and she asked she till this day she like asked me questions (laughs) that i think is the best part of working at an agency is if you depending on where you go you can have a great community of other workers who are all there to help you and explain to you you know if you have questions if something's happened you always have somebody to go to you have a support network Mm -hmm. yeah okay yeah that's fair so then I want to ask uh, both of you how you both decided to become full-service sex workers. For me, it was, I mean, honestly, it was kind of an impulsive decision on my part. I mean, I I, tech, I, do, I have like a weird thing with the concept of virginity, but I technically lost my virginity doing sex work. I had only ever slept with women I'd never had PIV sex before <laughs> until I went on seeking arrangement and I I started because I had just lost my job. I had just lost my home and I was really lost and I didn't know what to do. And I mean, honestly, I'm glad I did it because it's helped me in so many ways. So how old, how old were you when you began? I was 18. You were 18. Okay. Yeah. And you had not had penetrative sex with penises or men no. before. Okay. No. So is that does that speak to your sexuality or is that just? Um, it does speak to my sexuality a little bit. I think um, there was a part of me that just never wanted to try. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was kind of just content being only with women. Not necessarily that I wasn't attracted to men. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, I, I kind of. Uh, that was that was definitely when men were even introduced into my dating pool. So, so, so you developed a it? taste. It was it was an acquired <laughs> I, taste. It was an acquired taste, nice. absolutely. And I still, right. you know, like when I'm on Tinder, I'm swiping like ninety percent women and about ten percent men. So it does speak to my sexuality a yeah. bit. But I did acquire a taste for men. Just just a touch. Just a, just a just touch. A bit, just a little cherry on top. Just a little side dish. Thing. <laughs> a little side dish for your, men. For your exactly. Men. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> What about uh, yourself, Isla? Um, How did you so, get involved? I guess for me, I when I was younger, I didn't really know that sex work even existed. I didn't know that this was a thing that women could do. Like I, I, didn't, I had no idea. And then 
I I got engaged like a young young fool. Okay, like a young fool would. She got engaged. How old were you when you were engaged? I think I was eighteen. To a, I was to, I was eighteen when I got engaged. Yeah, I was living in the United States. Ooh, good time. To a to a man. To a man, yes, uh-huh. to a man. A man. <laughs> to a man. He was like a high school sweetheart, and oh, okay. we got engaged, and that was really cool. And I was then thrown into the world of camming through Tumblr, and when that happened, I like told him that this was what I wanted to do, and it was wonderful, and he accepted it, and then. I wanted, I met Ruby. And meeting Ruby is truly what changed <laughs> it for me because she was like, you know, you, you're amazing and wonderful and what you're doing seems to be working, but did you know? <laughs> did you know that there's all of this waiting for you if you, if, you're, if you feel like you can handle it? And I was like, hmm, I feel like if I have the proper guidance and I did all the research that you know I yeah. possibly could before I decided to do it. But Ruby definitely helped me. I like, left my my I just called off my wedding and became became a full service sex worker and my entire outlook on life changed and everything around me became so much healthier. The relationships I had with people changed. I started to treat myself better like as a whole. So Ooh. yeah, that's how I started. Lib- liberation through sex work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get t shirts made. <laughs> I like that. I mean honestly that's absolutely what it was for me because mm-hmm. I mean, if I had never started to do sex work i never would have left you know the very toxic environment that i was raised in and i never would have been able to find like come to the big city because i'm a small town girl Mm -hmm. and coming to toronto has been like the greatest liberation of my life and i definitely would never have been able to do that without sex work that was definitely a big catalyst in my life too like i i grew up in in Ontario, of course, but I ended up moving to the United States super duper young and living there, I had no status. There was no way that I could work. And so I was leaving, like when I left the United States and moved back up here to Canada, I I was like running away from an abusive situation with absolutely no history in working. I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do when I first moved back here. And sex work was truly the only thing that I had that made that made me money you know it was the only thing that i could do that was um reliable for me at the time and accessible for me especially with my mental health like i couldn't having a vanilla job so hard i worked worked, i had three jobs at one time at a point and it was yep it was horrible i was trying to pay like 700 dollars in rent and it was horrible millennialitis yeah yeah Yeah. and it just it's not feasible for me to do something like that but sex work is it's accessible i can choose what i want to do with my body Mm -hmm. and i can choose like when my schedule is gonna be and so i think that freedom is what really pushed me into it so i like that i'm hearing more and more stories of this nature from sex workers now i know it's not exclusively the case and there's still people in sex work that are being abused and get into it uh, with the wrong people for the wrong reasons and end up being traumatized or being in toxic environments and that used to be actually as you well know the stereotype right and you probably still get a lot a lot of that today the 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 john that tries to be your savior from this this pathetic life that you've constructed for yourself and to to dig you out of your toxicity yet 
it's funny that in your relationships prior to becoming sex workers, you were in the toxic environment and you liberated yourselves by getting into sex work and defining what, you know, what work means for you, what sex means for you, what your bodies mean, your boundaries, Absolutely. consent rules. Absolutely. I mean, John's with the savior complex. Is like, <laughs> oh my gosh. As I was we talking. We were both sitting here and we're like, we have so yeah. many, we could, we could do the entire <laughs> podcast on this. We're not going to, we can't go that deep, but I did have actually an encounter in like, um, my personal life with my rheumatologist mm. and I'm very honest with my doctors about what I do because I don't see the problem with that like I think it's best if I'm honest and you know because I would I'm honest with my doctor I'm able to get like reliable frequent STI testing and stuff like that you know without feeling ashamed or embarrassed because my doctor knows what I do and he's happy that I'm coming to get it done all the time you know that's all he cares about so my rheumatologist I did tell her and she had like an interesting savior complex about hmm. that like I, I I truly didn't know what to say when my rheumatologist reached across the table and said honey you're so much better than this I was like I'm just here to get my bones checked like yeah. I don't know man yeah thanks but no thanks, thanks but no thanks yeah no I, I, I thought you had a gr- degree in rheumatology not uh, psychiatry not sex work and, uh, <laughs> well the problem is that a lot of people are just uninformed mm-hmm. and they they exist off of old information yeah. and they hear probably only the horror stories because that's what's that's what's hot to be publicized in the media right you don't want to hear about successful sex workers because it's in a legal gray area and nobody wants to promote it right my friend Andrea Wehrhan wrote The Modern Horror we were talking about that and she is trying to to push against that stereotype as well and part of what this podcast is trying to do is the same thing to try to make it uh, visible and to bring a level of understanding to the general public or whoever listens that you know what it's not exactly always the case and there's things that you need to know about sex workers about their agency and I don't mean the agency you work for. I mean, <laughs> I mean your, you know, your freedom yes. to, to choose what you want and how you want it done. And one of the episodes that's going to be coming out in the future, we're going to talk about kind of the do's and don'ts and etiquette with booking and teaching how to be a proper John. Wow. Right? I can't wait. <clears throat> but today we're going to talk about <laughs> some other things that I'm really interested in, in hearing both, yeah, of your, sure. uh, both of your experience and, and views on. So the next thing I wanted to ask, and this is specifically for Isla, this, okay. this question is, do you get treated any differently as a sex worker who is also a person of color? And the follow-up question to that is if anyone's tried to engage you in consensual or non-consensual race play and how you deal with that. Yeah, so there's absolutely a difference in how I'm treated as a sex worker as like a woman of color, right? Um, I think what the difference is, is um, I, well, I think what like for me anyways, is that because of like my skin tone, I'm very often not like the first pick. I don't know if that's fair to say. I don't know if it's like a fair thing to say, but that happens it's, very often. It's you probably know? fair to say. It's just I'm not. I'm, I'm like I'm like a niche, is what I've been told. You know, I've been told before that I'm like an, I'm a niche. There's like a small group out there. You know, mm-hmm. there you're just not that kind of girl or things I've been told right. because of my race. And I, 
definitely most of my clients I have because I'm fetishized by them. You know, I get like called every name in the book that you can imagine, every chocolate. Mm-hmm. Every color of wood you could imagine. <laughs> okay. Every, Mo- every different kind of coffee uh-huh. you could think of with no cream and sugar. That's me. Okay. okay. All right. And <laughs> it's just it's just what happens. And for me, I'm very desensitized to it. So I don't get very riled up anymore about it. And I kind of allow some of my clients to like say what they feel they need to say to like have the experience that they want to have but mm-hmm. I'm very often not asked there is very, there's like never consent They I've never ever been asked is it okay if I call you this is it okay if I say this that's never been given to me from a client ever and there are definitely some names that I don't want to be called like I anything that's like puts my non-person of color client in a status above me mm-hmm. or degrades me mm-hmm. is not okay right. and i've gotten many of those <sighs> many times and it's just what happens like it's it, it, it's what happens it's something that i have to face as a person of color in right so it's a reality that you have to live yeah. i think going back to where you started it is fair what you're saying about not always being the the first pick yeah so on the one hand is you're by default not the first pick because whiteness is still the standard of beauty in mm-hmm, exactly. north american society yeah right and we see plenty of examples there's plenty of critiques online mm-hmm. when it comes to skin color hair style hair type Absolutely. right white people getting away with dreadlocks as being uh, edgy and then black people getting called dirty for the exact same oh hairstyle. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? I've had been so many times to me before in like it just, in, in work, in my vanilla life, there's it, all the time, always, everywhere, to the point where for work, I there, unless it's like summertime, I don't have my hair out. My natural hair is always underneath a wig, almost mm-hmm. always. And I do it for photo shoots, and I do it for everything. Because if I don't, then I know that I will have less clients coming in. Right. And so it's you- just, it's just, it's what, it's not the standard of beauty. My hair is not standard of beauty. And so it is not what clients want to see. I will say I've had one though who came in and he was like, is that a wig? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, can you take it off? I, I want to know what your natural hair looks like. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, honey. Of course, yeah. <laughs> so, Good. So, I, so I'm hearing that like your, your approximation to whiteness is what's marketable mm-hmm. for your line of work. Yeah. Or, on the other hand, being fetishized completely is another way to niche your marketability. Mm-hmm. So either way, you taken as a person is not taken seriously or not. Yeah in a complete way it's always in piecemeal or in fucked up ways yeah and this is something that i think people need to hear i i know there's people out there that don't want to hear politics and podcasts and things like that but i don't see how things just can be apolitical anymore so sorry to the people who listen and don't want to hear it you probably (laughs) shouldn't be listening then or you should be listening the hardest you should be listening (laughs) listening the fucking hardest okay (laughs) And my question for you, Ruby, because you are a person with invisible disabilities, I wonder if that at all affects, or how that intersects, rather, with your sex work. I think that my disability intersects with my my sex work in a lot of interesting ways. Um, There is actually an amazing pro, because one part of my illness is that I am hypermobile, which means in like 
less fancy terms that I'm incredibly flexible and can do very fun and interesting things with my body, which is absolutely an amazing marketing tool. Like for photo example. shoots, example, <laughs> like I have, um, I have pictures of me like with my leg behind my head doing the splits okay. across a sofa with like my ankles on each arm of the chair you know things nice. like that and I'm not totally sure what it is inside men that get excited by that because <laughs> I mean yes you can push my legs all the way back but how long are we really gonna stay like that <laughs> you know right, right. <laughs> but it's that so there's there's the pro in that way but you know it also um a con of my illness is absolutely that I am in chronic pain all the time, which is definitely something that is damaging with my work. And because I have malabsorption issue issues, um, my D3 is low and I often get sick. I'm very prone to infection. Mm -hmm. So those two things often make it difficult for me to work. I am kind of bad for having to reschedule with clients for reasons like that, which can definitely in a way like damage my reputation or right. whatever. But at the same time, I'm really, you know, I spent too much time being concerned about it. And at this point in my career, I definitely can't be concerned about it because I know that the reason that I chose sex work is because it is accessible to me. And I definitely won't let any, you know, pressure from anybody, Johns or agencies or anything like that, make it no longer accessible to me because then I kind of lose some of the purpose. Mm. Right. When we came here today, before starting to record, you had like a laundry list of, of, of things and I don't remember everything that, that you said as far as your invisible disabilities. <laughs> so these things will affect basically your ability to work because it can put you out of work for days, weeks and whatnot if Absolutely. your health's not up to par. Yeah. Are you transparent at all with your clients about any or some of your invisible disabilities and how do you negotiate that sort of communication within yourself? How do you choose whether to be transparent or not? I mean, most of the time, I definitely avoid um, clients knowing. I try to keep it, like, on the down low because I definitely don't want, you know, there was a time where I did tell a client, you know, that I had bad knees or whatever, and he didn't want to book me again after that because he felt bad, you know? He was, uh. he, he was... He was like, I don't want you to come see me because now I know you're in pain while you're doing this, you know? Which, I mean, is nice and understandable, but at the same time, I need to make a living, you know? And then I, it doesn't really matter what I do. I mean, honestly, sitting behind a desk 9 to 5 would be much more painful for me. So, right. but, I mean, there have been clients that um, I have told usually, like, long-time regulars. Um, I had one client who was, like, a doctor specifically like a spinal doctor you know and he noticed my uh, my scoliosis in my back and was asking me questions you know and gave me a back massage and so I was open with him mm -hmm. about it all because I mean first of all he was a doctor so he was gonna understand all of my big medical words that I would be throwing at him um, and he was empathetic right so when you feel safe and you can share those kind of vulnerable aspects of yourself. Yeah. You, you feel like it's okay, but otherwise, Absolutely. yeah, you don't want it to threaten your work even more. Yeah, and exactly. it already does. Exactly. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So the next thing I wanted to ask is 
and this is a question for both of you, is what do you enjoy the most and the least about sex work? And I think we talked a little bit about the agency and whatnot, but we can go into a, a little more detail. You want me to go first? Okay. Um, <laughs> Take it, Isla. I want to start with my least favorite thing about sex work. Okay. Right? And I think my least favorite thing about sex work is how it makes you focus on your outward appearance that's my least favorite thing because you know dealing with people in general that's that's like pretty that's pretty every day you know being able to be a well-rounded person and um be able being able to connect with people and be empathetic is perfect right that's that's easy work for me to do i don't mind that at all um and the physical aspect of it is again it, that's not that's not hard on me right it's not too difficult for me to deal with but the worst part is how it all makes you reflect on the outward part of you you know how do you look good enough do you act good enough do you do, do you do you talk well enough do you do you do you walk the walk like you know mm-hmm. you feel like there are all these standards that you have to stick to in order to like be the a sex worker right you so you know? have to you have to be marketable right because yeah. you're, you're seen a lot more mm-hmm. right? and you I feel that gaze a lot more yeah. than, mm-hmm. than probably outside of your sex work and that's that's i think that's just the hardest part because you have to remember that when you are providing things like fantasies and experiences for people that you too are a person and there's a different part of you that these people may they may not see Mm-hmm. And you have to, you want, maybe you want to show that to them, but you're scared to because it, maybe it's not marketable. Maybe you singing in the shower <laughs> isn't marketable, mm-hmm. you know? But it's yeah. you. And right. it's sometimes it's hard to have parts of you that you feel like you can't show people. Right. Does that, does that also come along with um, your body image being compared to other sex workers? Uh, yeah. yeah abso- absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are a lot of things that I do only for work. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't shave my armpits outside of work. I love to say mm-hmm. that, like, <laughs> that if any of my, my clients saw me out on the street, they probably wouldn't recognize me. Yeah. Because, like, I, most of the time, I haven't showered in a couple of days. My armpits, super hairy. I probably have, like, clo- like the clothes from the bottom of my drawer because I've been putting off doing laundry so long. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being outside, <laughs> outside of, exactly. of sex work, you know? So, um, the, yeah. the stand, the beauty standard is absolutely, like... Insane. Insane. Like, I spend more time, <laughs> like, on my makeup before work than I do for anything, for anything else. else. And at yeah. the same time, I'm trying to make it look not too bold, but also sparkly, but also kind of natural, because I don't want them to think that my, I have a cake face, but I also don't want them to think I'm gross, because I have pimples <laughs> like a human does, you know? So, the yeah. yeah, that's definitely a con, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's my biggest con. <laughs> I agree with her. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, you're, you're putting on makeup, you're getting dressed, you're putting on a persona. Yeah. You have your stage name, so to speak, and 
to some degree we call them our superhero names that's awesome (laughs) to some degree it's a performance right oh my god you're going to put on a performance Mm -hmm. but you're also you're also connecting with these people i don't Mm -hmm. want that to get lost in this yeah is that at the same time that it's visually a performance you are emotionally connecting with these people you are investing your time into these people Mm -hmm. you know and that's like that should never be lost in it and I, I guess that I would say that that's probably my pro mm-hmm. is exactly. is the connections that I get to build with people and especially like the more often that someone comes to see me and not even necessarily more often but more times someone comes to see me you know I will remember that person I will you know start to become more comfortable with that person mm-hmm. more open with that person mm-hmm. and you know now I have clients who like I'll run to meet them and I have like my hair is in a mess and I'm wearing like my old <clears throat> jeans and whatever and I'm like frantic and I'm like oh I just oh I'm here now I'm here Whew. you know like so natural and so honestly me and those are the kind of clients that definitely make it worth it yeah I those think. are the clients that get the best of me like they get, right. the, they best get the best of me. me they have they get me I'm laughing you mm-hmm. have all the jokes you want to hear about what my cat did <laughs> right exactly you, yeah. if you want like that's that's my pro is when you have when I get clients who I connect with and I'm seeing them all the time they like they're coming to me and telling me about what their cat did yeah I'm talking about the traffic on my way in that's my pro yeah at that point we're we're friends we're friends homies I want to know what's going on in your life I want to know what traffic was like I want to know what's going on with your car you know I'm I'm not particularly interested in your wife and kids but you can tell me pretty much anything else (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the way I see it is that, I mean, performance isn't, for me at least, it's not necessarily this aspect of, of, of doing something that isn't you. I see it in the sense of performativity in the same way that we perform our gender and we perform all these sorts of roles, either consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. That is what's of interest to me. So there's, I'm hearing that there's aspects of your performativity that's genuine mm-hmm. or true to who you are outside of sex work. Mm-hmm. And you intermingle that with your superhero selves yes. to be badasses and have fun. Yeah, and I think that's like a great key to getting regulars too. I'm just going to slip that tip in there is the more, you know, like open and honest you are with your clients, the more open and honest they will likely be in return, mm-hmm. you know? So, and then that's, uh, that's what keeps them coming back. Absolutely. Is getting regulars always a good thing? No. Yeah, I, I saw that coming. It, no. Because I, I feel it's really dependent on the client but most of the time it is most of the time it is like i think i would rather have like a trail of regulars Mm -hmm. um that i see like the same like 10 clients or something every couple times a week and i'd rather much like much rather do that than like see different people every single time however Mm -hmm. there have been and the reason that i said no is because i have personally had an experience with a regular who you know like lost sight of the boundaries right you know and unfortunately i had to i had to end that um working relationship because you know he was comparing himself to my boyfriend he was like i don't understand why you don't love me the same way you love your boyfriend and i was like whoa that's way too <laughs> my boyfriend doesn't pay me you know yeah. like there's already like a discrepancy in in our relationship that you can't take away you know so 
That's why I said no anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the same like when uh, clients fall in love with their therapist, right? Mm-hmm. You have somebody that listens to you, and then all of a sudden, wow, I feel so heard. And exactly, you, know, you get yeah. you get too close, you get too vulnerable. Exactly. And yeah, that's what I was thinking is maybe people take advantage of the fact that you become vulnerable with them and start to push the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Exactly, but mm-hmm. luckily, I mean, most of the time, it's pretty easy to to shut those. Um, relationships down yeah. um so not always <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not like a re- thing to rely on mm-hmm. you know but um, oftentimes even when they get to that point like with my bad ex regular um after i told him off he kind of got the point you know and he actually didn't really pursue it after that because i made it very clear that i was no longer interested mm-hmm. um and as long as i mean you're not letting these people know where you live and not letting them know like your real in name and information and stuff like that then the consequences of cutting them off are usually quite minimal you know so i still think regulars are are a good thing to work for so they're overall. mostly good mostly good mostly good mostly good 85 percent yeah Ooh, that's very specific <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in your phone you have a chart yeah <laughs> keep it tabs on the wall yeah So the next thing I want to ask both of you is what advice do you have for people thinking about getting into full-service sex work? Research, research, research. Um, Please, please reach out to other sex workers respectfully and kindly. You know, respect their time, obviously. Um, Don't, don't just go wherever it will take you, okay? Do not, do not go to like that one random guy who's like hey you want to try this like don't do that you know make sure that if you're going to do indie work that you're talking to like you have a community of women that you can go to and that you can ask them questions you know educate yourself on sexual health mm-hmm. that that is so important, so important because i i had a i had a rather acute knowledge of sexual health before I started full-service sex work. There was not much I knew. Like, until the, the day I do stupid things and everyone's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, ha, ah, ah, <laughs> it'd be good to know that before I, you know, mess up or yeah. like, accidents happen, you know? So please do your research. <clears throat> Talk to girls. One of my favorite little pieces of advice is that, so, I mean, the client should obviously shower when mm-hmm. he gets there. Yeah. I, I don't care if he's like, we showered before we got here. Shower I don't again. care. You were probably standing squished sardine with like 30 other people on the streetcar. So shower again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but because they're showering again, what I love to do is I put a little cup of mouthwash on top of the towel so that they are forced to interact with the mouthwash. Right. Because other times, you know, I, it's like on the counter and it's there and it's visible. The cups are there. They they know that it's there to use, but they just opt not to. You know, they think that like uh, it's something that they are allowed to just like opt out of, which it's not. At least not for me personally. So I I always suggest putting it on top of the towel so that they're forced to interact right, so with it because they're it. either they're yeah. either gonna pick it up and do what they're obviously being asked to do, mm-hmm. or they're gonna be like an asshole and they're gonna put it to the side and I'm gonna see that you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or worse, put it down the drain. Yeah. Oh. oh, you didn't think about that one. I I, I can taste their breath. Yeah. I can tell. <laughs> I know if you come out. And I can tell you haven't used a mouthwash. I will, like, look over your shoulder and be like, 
I see the full cup of mouthwash. I see the mouthwash leaking out the bottom of this paper cup. Okay, so I know mm. <laughs> you haven't used Actually, the mouthwash. Here, here's what I just come, came up with on the spot. Cool little trick. Take mm-hmm. it or leave it. Be like, kissing is extra. Unless you use the mouthwash, then it's free. Boom. <gasps> Wow, and it's a non that's great <laughs> non-rude way of telling them that's great yeah because especially like they like they like to uh try and save money wherever they can with mm-hmm. some of the johns so um <laughs> they'd be like absolutely how, how much extra 100 bucks 100 bucks, 100 bucks. Yeah. there you go you see these lips yeah you want to pay 100 bucks to kiss me or do you want it for free with that motherfucking mouthwash right? mouthwash yeah call, call Mr. Listerine Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, other tips? Do you have any other tips? Um, I mean, I think you covered it, but reiterating sexual health, I guess, definitely. Because, I mean, I've even spoken to, like, other, other, uh, full-service sex workers, you know, and it's definitely, like, not to shame or anything like that, but, you know, there were girls who told me that they hadn't gotten tested in like six plus months mm-hmm. and that is definitely like way way too long of a period to be waiting if you're a full service sex worker to do sexual health testing right. like knowing your status as a sex worker is really really important and it's also really important for the johns too because i saw a poll on twitter and like when i saw the results it was like 36 percent of johns said they had never even been tested before you know so sexual health never. is super wow. never wow. never 36 percent of johns said they never not once been tested like Shit. so yes reiterating sexual health yeah. educating yourself on that is really really it's important. important I remember one time navigating on a sex workers website and actually seeing their uh, test results posted obviously with the name blacked out and mm-hmm. all that but mm-hmm. uh, you know regular test results posted and it was actually reassuring I posted mine on Twitter yeah when I get mine I post mine on Twitter because I mean I don't I don't have a problem with sharing that information, you know, mm-hmm. and I I had, after I posted that on my Twitter, someone actually, you know, called the agency that I was working at at the time, uh, freaking out, saying that I gave them something. Like, I transferred an mm-hmm. STI to them. <clears throat> and, I mean, I went and I got tested again, just to be sure, and it was still negative, yeah. you know, but even just the fact that they took that, you know, they saw that and they were like, I can try and take advantage of that for some reason. Doesn't make sense. That's to stupid because mm-hmm. that's actually evidence. It's like the it's like the evidence yeah. in the contrary, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, uh, <laughs> so where would uh, where would somebody who's interested in getting into sex work find information online or in person? Where do you meet other sex workers? Twitter. All right. Twitter is great. Twitter's if you great. live in um, Toronto, there's Maggie's. Maggie's Toronto. Yep. Yeah, Maggie's mm-hmm. Toronto. You can go in person, and they have condoms um internal condoms latex free condoms lube um they have you know workshops um, and resources workshops yeah. resources and like a bus that comes and does sti testing i believe it's once every two weeks or something like that's that. pretty awesome yeah so yeah. maggie's toronto in person you know um but definitely twitter is usually a, a pretty reliable place, you know, just like hashtag date whatever city you're in or whatever mm. city you're in, escort, and you'll start finding, you know, other full service sex workers in your area. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, there was the sex worker meetup at Oasis. At Oasis, yeah. yeah. And that's, oh. where, that's where we met. Absolutely. Yeah. That was so good. I wanted to go, but it was, was nice, sick. wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> 
Um, another thing that's really great is FetLife. I don't know, like, yeah. I'm on FetLife. <laughs> Beautiful and wonderful. It's Cuddle Slut on FetLife with two U's in the slut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> dropping her at. I'm dropping her at. Add that shit. It's really great. But you can use FetLife, and you can type in different events. You can go see all the events in your area or in cities around you, and they, different sex workers do post when they have events on there. Oasis posts when they have events on there. Mm-hmm. You can find other workers in the industry. You can just message them and be like, hi. I know that you're a worker and I want would like to be so could you tell me some things that I should be aware of or direct me or direct to somewhere me. that I can right. find resources so yeah Perfect. so FetLife is also great <laughs> so when we met at the at the sex worker meetup yes you were talking a little bit about dissociating during sex yes which I found interesting and I was wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about it how that happens and how it affects or how it intersects with your sex work absolutely so I find that sometimes with my clients I I dissociate and it's never because my clients are pushing my boundaries I'm I'm very specific about what I do and do not like with my clients I very rarely have people try to push my boundaries anymore because they they know better at this point so that's never really why it happens but when we are being physical I very often kind of just like fall away into whatever you know I'm thinking about everything else under the sun but what it does is like my mind is off somewhere else and I'm not I'm not being traumatized I'm not scared none of those things are happening right I feel safe I know I'm safe but I'm just kind of like I'm just kind of like laying there is what Mm -hmm. ends up happening I'm like out of my body and I know that it's like it's, I feel like it's not fair when it happens with my clients because then I am not giving them my 100% in that in those like couple of seconds you know my face might be blank yeah. or maybe I'm not being as exciting as I normally am and that's that's what happens mm-hmm. um, does it happen how, regularly yeah it happens pretty regularly it happens at least uh, like a couple of times a month with clients so, and do you, do you still know. feel your body when you're like? Do you feel what's happening to your body? Oh yeah, when you're dissociating. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I yeah, know. I definitely. I'm very. I'm, I definitely know what's happening. Mm-hmm. I'm very aware, yeah. right? So it's not like, it's not like I'm not able to consent. I'm still very aware of what's happening. <laughs> I'm okay with what is happening. It's just like when I'm on the bus and I'm just listening to music too long, and then I start dissociating on the bus, and then I miss my stop, and then I have to like back like, backtrack all the way. It just it just happens and I don't I tried when I was at the sex work panel sex worker panel at Oasis I was asking the other girls because I wanted to know if any of them had also gone through that you know what what was it like for, what was it like for you guys as you know women with mental illness who are in this industry does it happen to you what do you do to cope with it and a lot of them are like we just use grounding techniques like yeah it happens to us mm-hmm um, we just we reiterate our boundaries and we use grounding techniques and this is how we try to go through it and a lot of them suggested things like therapy and like other like meditation and yoga and things like that to do to like help ground you mm-hmm. but I think for me I think why I'm dissociating because I spoke to um, Elizabeth Lord a bit about it as well um, Who's I she's another wonderful indie um, worker who mm-hmm. is at the Allegra Collective. She's part of the Allegra Collective. She's wonderful. Um, she we I am asexual, 
right? So when, right. when it that's, comes that's to... That's in your profile, yeah. asexual. So that was another follow-up question. So we can talk yeah. about it now. Oh, yeah, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah, of course. Because I, I, I think it has something to do with yeah. my dissociating, right. right? Is that in my private life, I don't have sex. Ever. It just doesn't happen. Ever. And, ever. Okay. Ever. Except for like a small period of time when I was trying to... I was trying to like really convince myself that I wasn't asexual, so I was like going through like all these like raunchy hookups with a ton of people, and I was like trying to convince myself that that was what I liked and that's what I wanted. But prior to that, I went ten months like nothing. nothing. Mm-hmm. So I just I think that's what makes me dissociate is that sex for me is like very purely a thing I do to connect with people through my job. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all it's that's all it is for me right now in my life. I think that's all it's going to be for me right now in my life, and I think that's what makes me dissociate. And I spoke to the other girls about it. They were like, "We, us two, as asexuals, experience that in our in our job. You know, it'd be, it's not something that we do all the time. It's not something that we do casually. It's just what we do for work." And that means that sometimes you think about other things, like what you're going to do for your like for groceries or like, you know, what you got to do when you get home. And so they're very reassuring. Well, the way you describe it, it's, it sounds like it wouldn't be uncommon. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like spacing out. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. I've definitely been there during sex and during different things, especially in my former vanilla relationships. I think most of my sex was, <laughs> was spacing out. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, with when it comes to asexuality for you does that interfere or have any effect at all on your experience of pleasure uh no 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 when well so i think one thing i one thing i like to tell people all the time when i tell them i'm asexual is that all my parts still work the same so i feel everything my body still gets stimulated i get turned on you know i can orgasm all those things happen because my body has nerves and parts that like to be touched (laughs) (laughs) right um but when it comes to the urge to have sex that is what i like the desire the desire Mm -hmm. i don't possess that (laughs) i like don't i don't have the desire to have sex and was it like that as well before uh, sex work when you yes. were engaged? I was, I was 16 when I came out of the closet as asexual. Okay. That was the first time I identified as asexual and I was with, I was, in, I was engaged. with the boy and then I got engaged. Yeah. So when I, when that was happening, I had a lot of people tell me there was absolutely no way I could be asexual if I was having sex. There was like, they were like, asexuals, they don't have sex lives. You can't, <laughs> you can't. And I was like. So I guess I'm not asexual then. Okay. And then when we broke up, I went through the slew of like, you know, sleeping with tons and tons and tons and tons of people because I was like, I'm not asexual. This is what I'm supposed to do to like get over it and live my life and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I've been fed or whatever things I thought, you know. And then I kind of came to terms with the fact that I just didn't, I just don't want to. (laughs) I just don't want to. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> I I hope I wasn't like trailing off sometimes. No, no, no. I just I was thinking about a bunch of things as you were saying that. Yeah. Uh, probably thinking the most about what would be important for people to know about asexuality who don't know anything about it, so that they don't make those kinds of judgments like, oh, you can't and you must, and all these prescriptive notions about what you're supposed to be like when in reality you have your own experiences that yeah. define you and what you do. I think one thing <clears throat> that everybody should know about asexuals is that as an asexual you can still have a sex life 
mm-hmm. you know you can still that can still exist you may not you may only have sex with your partners when your partner wants to have sex with you because you love them and that's how you connect with them so you have sex with your partner you know, you can do kink all the time with your partner and then, like, you know, have sex with your partner afterward because that's what your partner wants at the end of their session. They want to have sex. And for you, it can just be kink. That that is still that still makes you asexual. Mm-hmm. I think, like, the way that I define it anyway is that being asexual is just not possessing the desire to have sex when the sex is not the goal for you it's like not what gets you going you know you want it's not what you need to connect to that person that's that's what i yeah i feel like that that deserves another episode onto itself yeah (laughs) to be honest yeah absolutely but it's uh it's interesting to hear it for the first time for me as well because Mm. i've just only read about it and i've never met somebody who identifies as asexual so it's it's nice to hear Now, Ruby, (laughs) you've been waiting patiently. Yes. Is there anything that you have to add to this part of the conversation? If not, I can certainly direct something more specific to your experiences. I definitely don't have um, experience with uh, identifying as asexual. I mean, I do have experience of of identifying as a lesbian for four years Mm -hmm. and then coming out as bisexual after that, which was definitely interesting and it was hard it was i think actually coming out as bisexual after coming out as a lesbian was harder for me than coming out as a lesbian in the first place Mm -hmm. because in my mind it was like validating all the people who ever told me that i just needed to find a good man one day or you know i just never had good dick before or whatever (laughs) you know when i realized that I was in fact bisexual and not a lesbian I all that to me I was like they were all right you know but they weren't right you know I had my own reasons for identifying as a lesbian and I I had my own reasons you know for discovering that I was bisexual you know so that was definitely like that's the closest thing I can I can really say to experience but otherwise I mean yeah, I'm fairly comfortable and, and definitely in my sexuality at mm-hmm. this point in my life, which is good. <laughs> and I was wondering if also if you've had experiences of dissociation that relate to Isla's experiences. Um, I have. Mostly when I was like a new full-service sex worker and men, Johns, were pushing my boundaries and I didn't know how to respond to that. Um, it was definitely like a coping mechanism, like in a, like a reaction that I couldn't control, you know, and that definitely didn't help because then it gave these men the impression that I was um, malleable, I guess, you know, easy to convince and to coerce into doing things that I wasn't actually comfortable with. So learning to not dissociate during work and not, you know, associate anything negative that may have happened to me with my work. Um, has really it's it's been incredibly helpful it's been incredibly helpful yeah but i don't really experience that much anymore because Mm -hmm. most of the time now when uh if a john is pushing my boundaries i'm like all right and you can leave Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i i um i really don't allow men johns to um disrespect my consent anymore mm-hmm. which is good unfortunately it was something that i had to learn but i've learned it now definitely i was really lucky that 
like when I started, you were there because <laughs> she taught me all those things. You know, yeah. she's when who taught me these keep keep your boundaries, your boundaries. Don't let people push you. You know, don't t- don't take no shit kind of thing. Like, you know, she definitely. I didn't want her to go through what I had to go through in order to learn those things. Right. You know, because I had to learn those things on my own. Learn from my mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> from my mistakes. You know, and so I didn't want her to have to do that. I was I wanted to teach her so that she could stay safe from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, luckily I don't anymore. I wonder, have either of you ever had a woman as a client? I I have I have a couple. <laughs> what? That's awesome. Yeah, and yeah. so that's like the only woman that I've seen as a client. But I mean, I guess I technically have. Yeah, I mean, only in couples. Only in couples. I've never. I've oh, never. Seen, oh yeah, and that's another thing. Yeah, couples. Yeah, yeah I've never. Couples. I've never like had a one-on-one session with a woman. Yeah, no. But if any woman wants please? to, please <laughs> hit us up. Please, I will give you a discounted rate. Okay, I will buy us dinner. Yep. And it's wine, dinner, dinner, dinner and wine, wine on me, and the Uber back, and the Uber back on, on me. <laughs> okay, I will treat you to a night of romance and sensuality. Okay. Girlfriend Ruby experience. Rose Gold on Twitter. Send me a DM. <laughs> girlfriend experience. Girlfriend, the girlfriend experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be nice to have a regular? That's oh a gosh. woman. I know. I, I might fall I in think, love with her. Yeah, I think that'd be like counter transference. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and only in couples, which I mean, it's usually pretty fun. It, it's always fun. Yeah. Usually pretty fun. I have personally had an experience where the 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 man in the relationship definitely seemed to be getting more gratification out of the um couple plus worker situation than the girl mm-hmm. in the relationship did which hmm. definitely it makes you me feel bad you know right. and i want to do something to make her feel better so i'm like i'm just gonna crawl away from you real quick make sure your girl's doing all right because <laughs> you just left her laying there and she obviously looks a little sad you know yeah so what's uh, what's the future got in store for both of you? Do you want to do this forever, for time being? I don't have any, any plans. Like I don't, I don't like have any plans to cease my behavior. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I definitely could see myself doing it at least for the next ten years. Yeah, you know, and I plan on like get like leaving Canada and going and traveling the world and working in some of the other countries in the world where I feel safe and comfortable to do so um like Australia would be really fun um but I mean I don't I definitely don't have any plans to stop (laughs) I I'm pretty content I'm trying to be a doctor she was so there's no there's like no end in sight until the day I have PhD at the end of my name then Maybe then you'll I'll be satisfied. Stop. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> It'd be awesome if you didn't stop. She might want a Lamborghini, though. I'm very blessed that I was able to tell my father what I do for work. So I have no reason to stop. Like, I have, no, I have none. I have none. I would. I would totally buy a Lamborghini. <laughs> my family doesn't know what I do for work, but I still have no reason to stop. I, yeah, no, I... It's been one of, like the most transformative things I've done in my life which again was I definitely did it like I had a lot of privilege in how I was able to start in the industry Mm -hmm. absolutely but that like and because of that it has been transformative for me so 
it's working i love it it's amazing i get to meet some hashtag people and connect sex hashtag. work is real work hashtag ah, sex work is real work. i was gonna say hashtag blowjob better than no job <laughs> 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 but on also hashtag sex work is real, real work. work hashtag sex work is hard work oh hashtag God. sex work is important work mm-hmm it's valuable work. It just reminds me of uh, in Andrea's book that I mentioned earlier, Modern Whore. So yeah. she talks about her experiences escorting. Uh, there's a there's a really nice. I'm paraphrasing now because I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, "If you have a nine to five job that you go to, and you know you hate, you're still a hoe. You're a hoe <laughs> yeah. to the state." So you're a hoe to yeah. the state. I mean, <laughs> it's no, it's no difference. You're whoring yourself out for money either way. Exactly. My hours can be nine to five. Like it, it's all. The yeah. Same. No, it's. it's I don't get yeah. up that early. <laughs> you're better. Yeah, man. It's not about the hours. It's more about the idea of dignity. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And absolutely. Yeah. No, I saw a comic by uh, Jack the Stripper. Mm-hmm. That was very I've been, similar. I've been following. That. I've been following. Yeah, she was very similar. Was, I believe it was like. Um, I don't remember what the vanilla job the other girl was working was, but then she was saying to the to the stripper, like, oh, how could you do that? Do you have no respect for yourself or whatever? And, mm-hmm. and Jack, she's like, well, take a look at yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, and all the things that you do yeah. for a boss, for a company, for the state. That yeah. Is, exactly. And are yeah. you happy doing it? Yeah. That breaks down your identity, your dignity. Yeah, when you go exactly. home and cry after work because somebody's been... <laughs> cruel to you and i think that was one of the biggest things for me that changed like that made me never want to go back to vanilla work was i was working at bath and body works okay it's not even like that competitive (laughs) of a goddamn sales associate position okay and i literally i got like screamed at in the middle of for anyone who has to work at bath and body works like room one okay (laughs) right in front of the mall there are children that are listening to my manager scream at me and i started crying like right then and there on the spot i was like this isn't okay you can't you can't treat me like this and i actually refuse to be paid eight dollars an hour for you to treat me like this and then i became an escort and guess what no one ever screams at me at you make all. The I scream rules. at people. There you I go. scream at people. Exactly. People <laughs> pay me to scream boss. at them. I feel like I have much more dignity as a full service sex worker Absolutely. than I did when I worked at McDonald's, that's for sure. Because I, I, I've been there, like I've been through all the lowest of the low options, okay? McDonald's being one of them. And it was absolutely horrendous. You are absolutely a slave to their system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the issue with vanilla work in general <laughs> is that because because people are given like put into this these positions of power right they assume that they that means that they like the respect that they give you is not basic human respect you know it's authoritative respect yeah. mm-hmm. it respect me as an authority and i will maybe respect you as a basic human being yeah it's not they no they're not seeing people on an equal level well, yeah because the power relations are hierarchical yeah. yeah and it's just it's that i think that's why it's so easy for people to treat people in vanilla jobs any kind of way especially if you work in any kind of human resources or any kind of sales like anything that's face-to-face mm-hmm. communications with another mm-hmm. person you know it's, it's i mean and meanwhile in sex work i mean at least um there are definitely like sex workers who are male or identify outside of the gender binary you know mm-hmm. but for the most part sex work is a matriarchy Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is true. You know, like for me, it feels like I feel like the queen. I feel like the queen. 
as I should. Awesome. Right? <laughs> My well, name ain't Princess for no reason. Damn it. <laughs> it was awesome for- talking to both of you today. Thank and you. thank you for coming. Yeah, that wraps that wraps up our, our wonderful hour. So I do <laughs> I definitely have so many ideas for, for more episodes uh, with yourselves, with sex workers about so many things, you know, uh, booking etiquette, how to um, the do's and don'ts of a session, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to talk to you, both of you again. But for now, (laughs) do some shameless plugging. Where can people find you if you want them to find you? Oh, uh, Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. This is Isla talking. Yes, this is Isla. My bad. At itty bitty Isla. All right. It's Isla the Island Princess. Um, And on FetLife at Cuddle Slut. Two U's in the slut. Um, yeah, that's me. You, I, it is now Ruby speaking again, in case you, I don't know if our voices sound all that different. Guess we'll find out. (laughs) But, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ruby underscore Rose Gold. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. I'm (laughs) also at Sassy Angels. Find me, come say hey. Well, a lot of this stuff is going to be in the description of the video, so look out for that, and you will have links to these wonderful humans. Thank you. See you again, thanks. Bye-bye. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a A place place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking.